Welcome to The Grizzly Beat, a podcast of Grizzly Times and Louisa Wilcox, where we interview scientific experts, managers, Native Americans, writers, and others to share their knowledge, perspectives, and experience. This comes at a time of enormous interest in the grizzly bear's future as the government proposes to remove federal protections and citizens are asking important questions. We hope the information shared here will help listeners shape their own answers. This is Louisa Wilcox, and I'm here with your friend, Charlie Russell. Charlie is a grizzly bear expert, a filmmaker, author of numerous articles and books, including Grizzly Heart, Living Without Fear Among the Brown Bears of Kamchatka, and Spirit Bear, Encounters with the White Bear of the Western Rainforest. Charlie is the subject of an award-winning BBC film, The Bear Man of Kamchatka. And with his partner, Marie Enns, Charlie filmed the documentary, Walking with Giants, the Grizzlies of Siberia. Charlie and Maureen are the only people known to have successfully raised 10 orphan grizzly bear cubs in Russia and to have returned them to the wild. Charlie lives on his family's ranch near Waterton Lakes Park, Alberta. Well, Charlie, you're, you have this amazing set of abilities, and one of them is you're an ultralight pilot. And that allowed you to track these grizzly bears in this remote wilderness, and as well as the salmon that they ate, and even poachers who were around Kamchatka at a time when poaching was rampant after the Soviet Union part. And the Russian mafia seemed to be everywhere, and there was a high price for bear parts like gallbladder. And the cubs may have been threatened by big bears, but book, you seemed constantly threatened by bureaucrats on the take and coming and going in helicopters, and how did you navigate all of that? <laughs> oh, man, how much time have we got to <laughs> answer that question? But, yeah, I was incredibly lucky. Another thing that our mutual friend Igor suggested when, when we set this program up was he said, why don't you bring your plane now, this was a plane I'd built for, to do another project with the Spear Bear on the west coast of B.C. It was, and I had built it myself. It's called an ultralight in Canada, but it's not anywhere. It's too, but too big a motor, and it's, so it's not really an ultralight. It's, it's something I chose very carefully to build from a kit, and, and what I wanted was something that could handle bad weather because I knew I was going in, you know into bad weather on the west coast and, and and here Igor suggested that I bring it to a place where not too long before that uh, uh, an airliner had been American or uh, Korean airliner had been shot down right over Kamchatka for for entering a very sensitive airspace uh, because of the Cold War, and uh, it was a 747, and and they shot it down because it flew over the, their uh, nuclear sub base in, in Petropavlovsk, and so here Igor is suggesting I bring my own plane to fly in this very mm. sensitive area. I, I thought he was crazy to suggest it, but I. I we both love to fly, he and I, and and so if he said, I think it'll work, then I was not going to, to turn down that possibility. And so it wasn't quite that simple, but 
I ended up there and with my plane. And it was an incredible tool because it's kind of expensive to to use helicopters for doing everything. There's no roads in Kamchatka. And so so you you have to do everything by air and and so here here I had my own transportation. But I didn't have permission from everybody. He he realized that that because because communism, the Soviet Union, had just fallen apart, everyone was was kind of not knowing what to do in the Russians, and and so he saw the possibility that we could fall through the cracks on the plane issue, and it worked. They didn't have the money really to come when they discovered a certain group knew I was bringing it. The wildlife, the protection agency knew I was bringing it, but <laughs> the uh, the border guard and those people didn't. And they discovered that I was doing this or had my plane. I was already 250 kilometers and building a cabin. And <laughs> and uh, Igor just said, "Well, they don't really have money to come and." do anything about it and he said I hear from talk around that that they think that you will kill yourself within three weeks and they wouldn't have to do anything about it because it's <laughs> wow. impossible they thought it would be impossible to operate that plane down uh, huh. you know in such wild uh, country out of touch with everybody uh, and Anyway, uh, it was quite a challenge not to make that one come true for them. Hmm. Uh, but uh, uh, it also gave me an incredible way to see things. And and I saw a lot of things going on, like the poaching of, uh, of caviar and the salmon were the reason that the South Kamchatka Sanctuary was set aside for protection. It was the salmon and the bears. And so uh, I, I, I thought that, you know, well, I could see that they didn't have any way really to stop if they couldn't stop me from flying down there, uh, they didn't have any real way of stopping the poaching either they didn't have any money and and uh, so I suggested to them that 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 uh, I could probably find some money to start a ranger program and Mm. and they went along with it Uh, and and also it was going to be kind of, it would be normally very tricky to understand whether your money was actually going to that. Anyway, they, there were many things that they said they were going to do with this money that I could use my plane and go and check up on. And so I would uh, I would fly down to the river. Yes, the cabin was being built. I could ask them, to, you know, what. You know, did they get that outboard motor as well? 
<laughs> these, these were uh, amazing opportunities that I had with the plane uh, mm-hmm. that normally I wouldn't be able to check up on it. This would give me more power to raise my money because mm-hmm. of this, because I could run such a close eye on on what the money was being spent on. I could get more money. Anyway, eventually six rangers were were hired, and and it became quite a successful way of stopping this the caviar salmon caviar poaching. That's great. So, Charlie, based on your many experiences in Kamchatka and Canada and elsewhere. What kind of relationship do you think is possible with grizzly bears, and what do you think are the biz- biggest obstacles we still face? And, sorry, and what what the, what are some of the biggest obstacles that we still face? No, that the biggest obstacle is ourselves. <laughs> it's people. Uh, I came back from this experience knowing that it was not a bear problem. I, I knew it was a people problem. I had, had, I had just experienced the most amazing time with, uh, with these animals. And I've told you a few of the not-so-amazing times <laughs> with the people, because that was, it was always the people that, that, that seemed to me with the problem. I, I'm asked, you know, are you going to go back? Or are, you, are you going to continue your research with bears? And I said, no. I, I say no. I am not because, because it's not a bear problem. It's a people problem. And, and I, the work that I need to do is to try to persuade people that we're we're on the wrong track. It's uh, we we need to manage these animals in a different way. We we create danger in grizzly bears by how they're managed because we insist that they need to be afraid of us and and wild, meaning that they have to. Uh, be separate from people. They have to live in their own world and we in our world. Uh, and so our management around that is is to be rough with them so that they don't like people. If they don't like people, I, I'm, I'm sure that these are the dangerous bears. The dangerous bears are the ones that are really fearful and don't like people. Their whole life experience has never been anything good about people. Uh, so, so, uh, and uh, so I, I asked park officials. I said, "Why do you, who you people who are so fearful of litigation, that you think that they're going to that?" that bears are going to hurt somebody and then sue you for that, why do you make them dangerous? 
this is not a mm. popular question. Uh, mm. and, and they don't know how to really answer that. So they pretend they don't exist. Uh, and, but it's a good question, and people are slowly starting to think about it. And I'm not very... I'm not a... I spent my time thinking about bears and and not experiencing what people really do. And it's pretty weird out there when you're a park manager and and you've got everybody coming to see your animals and some of them are grizzly bears. God knows what they might think of doing. And Usually you can't even imagine what they think of doing, and so it's it's a it's a tricky it's a tricky thing. So so I find out yeah I know quite a bit about bears, but I don't know a lot about people. And so uh, how does that how does that work? And so it's it, that that's the, those are the issues that people have to sort out or managers have to sort out. I don't have all the answers that way, and and uh, but I think that that bears are amazingly capable of dealing with stupidity, stupid people, providing <laughs> <laughs> providing they like us a little bit, that we give them some reason to like us. They're really right. good at sorting out the stupidity. But if we don't give them any reason to like us, then there are a few bears that will hurt you. I'm, I'm convinced of that. Yeah. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what we read about, and that's what we experience. And it are those few bears that don't like people, or, well, that, that deal with people <laughs> the way I might if I was treated in that way. <laughs> That's the other thing. I identify now so much with the bears. I think, oh, my God, if I was treated like you have been treated, I would do worse than you do. Well, Charlie, maybe speaking of one of those bears, uh, you and I were both good friends with Timothy Treadwell, who was killed and eaten by a grizzly bear in 2003, along with his girlfriend, Amy Huguenard. And, of course, this then became the subject of a film by Werner Herzog, called Grizzly Man. And I know this question could take hours to answer, and you and I have talked about this for hours and days on end, but looking back on that tragedy and and knowing that both of us could have become bear dinner on many occasions and perhaps still could, what are your reflections today on Timothy? Well, I've already hinted a bit about that uh, Mm -hmm. uh, because... I think that that people there's been three people in my life who have spent an awful lot of time with bears and who are considered maybe some of them bear whispers and <laughs> and they they think of themselves or they're kind of proud that they were that and one of them was um, Michio Hoshino, uh, mm-hmm. who, uh, and all three of these people are dead now. There's uh, Vitaly Nikolenko, uh, mm-hmm. and right. uh, he, he probably spent more time 
with bears than anybody in the world. Mm-hmm. And yet he, he died. Then there's Timothy Tedwell. He also died. And and so when you have three people that you've known and, and you, 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 you have to wonder what did they do that you didn't do. I'm, I, did, I didn't die yet. A lot of people <laughs> think I'm just lucky. But I think that, that the mistakes that people around bears that get to know bears really well make is that they think they are immune to harm from them. From the from the bears, and so, and especially if you think of yourself as a bear whisperer or something like that, then then it kind of blinds you to the possibility that there are bears out there that will that don't like people and that might hurt you, and and so Timothy fell in, into that that group, and and so did Michio, and so so did Vitaly. And so, yeah, that that's where I differ from these people. I never got thinking that I was immune to harm. And so, when you when you're, I've seen bears that like the one that killed Timothy. I'm sure I have, but I was able to stay away from them. And I also was very careful to have bear spray with me because I think that, that this bear spray is well developed, well proven that it works. And people that are hiking in bear country, especially in bear country where bears are taught to not like people, then, then you should carry bear spray. Uh, so, so, yeah, so th- 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 these are the things that that are important to understand. I think to keep you alive. Timothy didn't didn't carry bear spray. He didn't use uh, a hard-sided or electric fence around his tent. These were, and he didn't know every bear. Don't assume, no matter how much you like these animals, don't assume they won't hurt you. They've got a lot of reasons not to like us and maybe to want to hurt us. So uh, we've got to change that before we can trust every bear. Right. So, Charlie, you know that here in Yellowstone there's a debate about delisting grizzly bears and hunting them. And, of course, in Alberta, there's a discussion, again, on hunting grizzly bears. What do you think that could do to our relationship with grizzly bears? Uh, it, yeah, to, to, um, the, the situation here is that we, we have not hunted them for 10 years, and I've... I've seen, I've watched carefully what what this means, and we have a group of ranchers here, a, a generation of ranchers that is quite different from the, my generation, or my father's generation, or my grandfather's generation. They, they, we all 
killed grizzly bears on ranches, and the fish and wildlife kind of turned their back on it. They, it was sort of an unwritten policy that the bears are on your place, you can kill them uh, because they're so dangerous to your cattle and everything. But when when it was discovered that there weren't that many grizzlies left in Alberta, this was back in '06. And they, the, the bear, they put a moratorium on hunting these and grizzlies because there was a hunting season before that. This changed things because this generation of, of ranchers is amazingly law-abiding. Here and uh, and when they were told not they couldn't hunt them or kill them, they they not everybody but the majority of them didn't do that. They and and the consequence of that was that the numbers, at least in this area and next to Glacier and uh, the U.S. border, then is particularly good habitat, the bears really took advantage of it. Another thing I didn't talk about was that I think grizzly bears want to be social with us. They're intelligent animals. They know that that we control the productive land that they also need to to live well on. And so when the, and they were and they're basically always kind of testing that whether they can be social with people. And before this happened, <laughs> their answer to their test of whether they could be social was a volley of rifle shots. And uh, and that was their answer. So they would go back and hide for a while, but they would test again. So it didn't take them long to understand that something was different and they really came on to this productive land quite quickly and of mm-hmm. course they started to raise more cubs because they you know if you if you got suddenly got access to wonderful or much better food than you're used to by being forced to live in alpine valleys high up in the mountains where it's it was difficult for a female to raise one cub, then mm-hmm. suddenly you're down amongst cattle on eating some oats, and uh, hmm. even out now they're going far enough out to get into the wheat fields and hmm. canola, you know, the oil seeds. And, and yeah. so they can raise, there are now females showing up with four cubs. Yeah. And and so this quickly becomes another question. You know, can you know how many bears can we really live with? Right. And and my my that's one of the wonderful things about my experiment in Kamchatka was that I think that I was living in an area that had reached maximum number of bears. It really, 
couldn't they they themselves wouldn't allow more bears uh, mm-hmm. because they the the more the higher the numbers the more predation their own predation on each other happened and mm-hmm. and so bears don't don't propagate un, un, you know, unrestrictedly i mean they there is a limit and Mm-hmm. But can we live with those, with great numbers of bears? Not great numbers, with uh, more more bears is the question. And and if you know these people here, I have to hand it to them. They're making an effort to to learn that. I help them as much as I can. But if the, the if we go back to the hunting culture, which is mm-hmm. what we're getting away from, then then the talk about bears completely changes. Now mm-hmm. people are are learning to enjoy them, seeing them among their cattle. But but I don't. They could never do that before because it was always about the danger, the horribleness of this animal, which was mm-hmm. how. People who hunt bears have to think of them in a in a in a way in a in a way that they're a terrible animal. Otherwise, they couldn't feel good about killing this beautiful, incredible animal. Right. And right. So so it was it would be a huge setback for us here to right. to go back because we we have to start talking about them in this way again and and uh, and I think your situation where you're talking about delisting them it's the same problem it's not a you know it's it's a it's, it's really a, tr- a tricky thing and and it's it's about how people think about the animal and and if you think that you can live with them, you can. It's just that simple. Uh, <laughs> and right. if you don't think you can live with them, you can't. Uh, I mean, you're going to have to kill a lot of bears. Uh, and so I really worry about the delisting for that reason. Uh, well, I spent my whole life trying to get people to think about them in a different way. and And I'm seeing progress along those lines uh, and people are now at least here in Alberta they are thinking about them and, uh, and enjoying them differently but uh, that could all change with the hunting season that's so true so given the ambivalence that you just expressed are you hopeful for the future of grizzly bears in our Rocky Mountain backyards I'm more hopeful about grizzly bears than I am about people. <laughs> but, that, <laughs> but that's another long, complicated answer to why I say that. I think we're. I think that I learned from my immerse my wonderful opportunity to, to immerse myself into pure natural situation that I did in Russia for those 10 years. I 
I think I learned that we are so on the wrong track that that we're in trouble. And, of course, the bears are in trouble, too, to a certain extent, but it's because of us. And so, but generally, yeah, I, I worry about us more than the bears right now. But I would hate to see the... You know, part of the problem that that we are in is that we we think we are so separate from nature that we can just kill animals, we can just do what we want to do, and we are kind of forced. Uh, we we chose um, an economic model that that we. Uh, requires continuous growth. There is nothing like that in nature that re- that can that will na- nature just doesn't provide a situation where where we can do that forever. Uh, and uh, so so it has put us in a place that we have to always be looking at profits. And that's what's happening in this delisting thing. It's all about how can we now finally make some money off these animals with licensing and all this. And this is a problem that I'm telling you that it's not just with the bears. It's with everything. We're all after profit. We have to be because we have to have growth every year. We have to have so-called progress. And that's what progress and growth looks like. It's not really. It's regression. We are regressive. We are going to be forced to regress, to go backwards a ways because we've taken the growth too far, or we're about to. And and so it's a serious situation. That's why I say we're. I worry more about us than the bears. But, but complicated. Right. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Thank you, Charlie. We're listening to Charlie Russell and the Grizzly Beat.